0: Contrary to popular opinion, I am not a man in a dress. Or rather, you are only allowed to call me one if you also refer to me as a lady when in slacks. When people ask me if I'm a boy or a girl, I usually respond, no.
1: Gay people are out to get kids, because that's how gay people get that way. They're lured into it by recruiters who sexually abuse them as kids and thereby turn them gay. I say this is a myth because the people whose job it is to know these things say it's a myth. They've proved it. The American Psychological Association says homosexual men are not more likely to sexually abuse children than heterosexual men are. Celebrating all queer bodies, no matter what form they may take. Redefining the rules to make space for those whose identity cannot be defined by the confines of
2: he or she. They, pronoun, used to describe someone who's non-binary, like me also declared the word of the year. The gender revolution has taken center stage and even our mums got our pronouns right.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Aisa and welcome to part 2 of Seek to Speak's Pride podcast special where, as our opening has hinted, we will be exploring and most importantly debunking popular myths and misconceptions surrounding LGBTQ persons in Malaysia. We'll hear from local queer advocates, individuals and just generally brave souls who have decided to share their story today. We will also be exploring the hopes that local queer communities have for the future and their message to young LGBTQ Youth. we will end this episode on allyship how you yes you can help and what you can meaningfully do to move the needle we hope to build a connection through these stories and in the process build awareness and create empathy between our local communities while we do not claim that the views shared here are representative of the wider lgbtq experience in malaysia the stories here are true and real to the people who shared them if you have not checked out part one of this special please stop here Really, and go back. It should be right below this episode because it's so important for you to know who our guests are and what their journey has been like. Similarly, here is a trigger and content warning on what we will be discussing today which does include issues surrounding LGBTQ discrimination, misinformation on queer folk and a discussion on mental health and in particular conversion therapy. Should you find any of this type of content triggering, please stop listening now and come back When or if you're ready. And if you need help or someone to speak to about these issues, we have included, with the help of Ken from Pluho, some helpful queer affirming resources in our show notes. We invite you, as our listeners, to keep an open mind and encourage you to talk about these issues in a meaningful and productive way. Remember, it takes a lot of courage for the people on this episode to come out and tell their stories, so we hope you feel as deeply as we do when we heard them. Seek to speak values, compassion, tolerance, and respect. And we hope that since you're listening to this episode, that you share the same values as well. And with that, I want to kick off the episode with a quote by Lord Shafsaburi, which reads, Prejudice is a mist, which in our journey through the world often dims the brightest and obscures the best of all the good and glorious objects that meet us on our way.
4: The baby facing the music after video surfaced earlier this week showing the hip hop star making homophobic statements on stage in Miami.
5: Partway through his
0: show, he gets into a bit of a rant. He sort of makes jokes about people with HIV, he makes jokes about gay men. It didn't take very long for that to become a flashpoint in kind of the public
4: conversation. For days, backlash has been intensifying. The six-time Grammy nominee standing by his statements while acknowledging on Twitter that they were insensitive to those affected by HIV and AIDS.
3: In August 2019, a UK immigration judge reportedly rejected the asylum claim of a homosexual person from Nigeria where same-sex acts are illegal, stating that he did not have a quote-unquote gay demeanor. The interviewer said to him, you don't look gay. You look like any other man, why should I believe that you are? According to a 2020 paper on Sexualization Stereotype Statistics LGBTQ Asylum Seekers in the UK, most of these rejections have been arbitrary, discriminatory, and arguably rooted in a narrow stereotypical perception of LGBTQ persons. At best, stereotypes cause incredible hurt and suffering, and at worst, it can even take lives and fuel constant hate. LGBTQ stereotypes are often associated with homophobia or transphobia and may be acquired through a number of means, even through interactions with parents, teachers, and mass media, and more generally through a lack of first-hand interaction or knowledge, resulting in an increased reliance on generalizations and assumptions. In segment one of this episode, we want to bust this common myth mis- and misconceptions that are fueled by these stereotypes, which in turn perpetuate discrimination towards the local queer community. First up, we have Lee from Tabung Palangi speaking about how queerdom is not a lifestyle. And later you'll hear from Reg, who talks about how being queer is not just a phase.
6: One of the biggest misconceptions is probably that being queer is a lifestyle. No one chooses to be especially in Malaysia where it's extremely difficult to find employment, get proper healthcare, so on and so forth, Um, if you're queer, no one chooses hardship, so I think that's the biggest misconception. Um, If it seems like there are more queer people, it's probably because a lot of us finally have the language to express ourselves and manage to find a safe space for ourselves to be openly ourselves and that's usually the internet
2: i I, I think it's it's interesting when people say you're making a choice or it's a phase um, why would I do such a thing? do you have any idea how hard it has been like in my life to not be the same as the other boys not um, like have the black and white thing. you know where before I started having you know the the, the the teenage developments of sexual attraction and all this sort of stuff I always wanted to be a dad with a wife and children like my father you know I had this whole black and white view and I really wanted that like a kid that has like a dream to be a doctor or whatever it is or you know an engineer or that sounds very Indian actually well maybe like a fireman <laughs> It's still in there, doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's like, why would I put myself through that? Like, I went to a Catholic boys' school. I got so badly bullied physically, mentally, emotionally. um, You know, um, being different is not easy. And it's not, if, if I could choose... Um, I'm glad I didn't choose. I'm glad I didn't have the choice to choose. Because if I did choose, I would have definitely taken the path of least resistance. I would definitely have chosen to suffer less, just like anyone else would have. Do you know what I mean? What do you know as a child when you're 12, 13, 14, and all these feelings and all these things come up for you, and everyone in the world is pushing up against it?
3: Here is Mimo talking about why people still hold these misconceptions and misinformation.
7: Being queer is an identity. It's not a choice. It's not a lifestyle uh, or a face someone grows out with of, you know, nor does someone become queer because they were physically or sexually abused as child. We have this misinformation that you have to go through a trauma, you have to be a victim of prey, for example, and then you will turn homosexual. This is totally untrue. And much of this misinformation is rooted in the belief that queer people are abnormal or mentally ill, but there is, you know, the funny part, there is no credible medical or psychological association, to my knowledge, in the world continues to validate these harmful stereotypes. And I truly believe that sexual orientation and gender identity are very complex, that the exact origins are unknown. Mm. So, So any attempt to fix or cure or repair a person's sexual orientation and gender identity, in my opinion, is not just, it's not only unethical and unprofessional. It it can also cause great harm and lifelong damage. I I had uh, one friend uh, that came and told me after I came out to her that, uh, you know, this can be cured if you met the right guy. So this is this is one of the misconception that most queer people could be cured by having really good sex with the person from the other gender. Yeah. And we hear this often, um, especially from men. And I mean, there is no cure because there is no illness. Many many LGBTQ people have had heterosexual relationship or experiences, right? Mm. These experiences have not changed their sexual orientation. You know, bisexual people continue to be attracted to both gender. And I think many queer people enter a heterosexual relationship due to social pressure and in complete denial of their sexual orientation, you know, like just because uh, this is what the society says so. Um, And I think this can cause a great deal of pain and misery for both partners. And if if there are children involved in those Mm. families.
3: According to Jade a research officer from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy in Malaysia, the reality is that our local mental health services are unsafe and poorly equipped to deal with the needs of LGBTQ people. For example, in 2016, the Islamic Development Department, or JAKIM for short, launched a five-year action plan entitled, quote-unquote, Action Plan to Address the Social ills of LGBT Behaviour. The Health Ministry also produced a booklet entitled, Guidelines on Dealing with Gender Health Problems in Public Clinics. The content within these guidelines were alarming as it operates on the premise of Correcting LGBTQ people as opposed to acceptance and affirmation. This narrative is harmful because according to Jade, it often attracts adverse feelings of self-hatred, low self-esteem, guilt, and hopelessness. These feelings could result in a desire to change one's own sexuality and gender, leaving them susceptible to the harms of conversion therapy. Despite international progress on LGBTQ mental health care, Malaysia's health system stubbornly persists with coercive and corrective approaches towards LGBTQ people, such as state-sponsored conversion therapy. This is Ken of Pluho speaking more on this.
8: So conversion therapy is also called reparative therapy, corrective therapy, and all of them aim to do one thing, which is to... Make a person's sexual orientation, gender identity, um, how they identify more in line with heteronormative norms. So, for example, if someone is gay, the aim is to make them straight. If someone is trans, the aim is to make them appear, and I use this with inverted commas, straight and normal, again in inverted commas. And so, I think... At its very core, uh, conversion therapy is mistaken in the idea that these things are negotiable. So I think it comes from a place of misunderstanding of the very uh, nature of what it means to be LGBTQ. On top of that, there are also a lot of questions about um, is this even ethical? And I think there have been statements by um, I think there was an independent consultant for the UN who found that it is essentially torture, because what would happen during conversion therapy, and there are many many ways this is practiced. It's it's more united in its aim rather than its method. So you will you, would, you will find it being practiced by uh, religious religious organizations. Uh, we may be familiar with the phrase balik ke pangkal jalan, locally, uh, but internationally you see it. Uh, being practiced as well by religious organizations in some cases state bodies Um, you may see it practiced in households at home and regardless of how it's done it's based on a mistaken assumption that these things can be changed and that bringing someone back so called to the right path is beneficial and good for the person which research has found over and over again is not the case and it's extremely harmful hence why it's labelled as torture mm. so one of the first things we did under the Bluebird Project was to get in touch with therapists that we have heard good things about or we know are probably uh, quite experienced or knowledgeable about LGBTQ issues and we got in touch with them so that uh, we can have a discussion about what kind of treatments and what kind of experience they've had. And the idea being to basically qualify the list of names that we've gotten. We wanted to have a vetting process to make sure that whoever we were recommending in this service, we had gotten in touch with, we had asked the difficult questions to, and we have heard their side, uh, their response to them. So we screen basically for their understanding as well as the experience of LGBTQ clients and issues that may affect uh, LGBTQ clients and, and it's really easy to to kind of lump all of us together under one acronym but the fact is the lived experience of me as a gay man will be very different from the lived experience of a lesbian woman, will be very different, hugely different from the experience of a trans person because of uh, the various and it's not just about our identity but it's also about the intersectional experience Unfortunately, we are not equal even within the LGBTQ alphabet, so to say. Um, We do see that there is a lot more uh, discrimination towards our trans brothers, sisters, siblings because of how visible they are. Um, And also because of a lot more, perhaps, rejection and discrimination that is Just part of our culture, unfortunately. So, because of that, what they may want out of therapy, or what they may need out of therapy, rather, uh, will be very different from what I might need, or I might want out of therapy, because our issues are so differently contextualized. And so, we had these conversations to to gauge what is the difference, uh, what what are the different demographic groups that they have served uh, these therapists. We find of, of having these conversations, and also of correcting maybe the understanding first and also maybe hopefully changing the idea within uh, therapists that um, it isn't always about so-called what the client wants Um, and what we mean by that is if the client one of the questions we ask which is probably the most difficult one to answer is if the client wants to be straight would you conduct conversion therapy and with a lot of therapists uh I think there is a sense of client-serving and a sense of neutrality that they feel bound to take, but I would argue that if a practice is known to be harmful, it's proven to be harmful, and it's been likened to torture, you should really reconsider whether this is really the best thing for the client, and even educate the client on what their request could be entailing. because for a lot of young um, queer people who may be seeking therapy for the first time they may not know that conversion therapy is in fact harmful and not scientifically proven to help a person affirm or um, recover so it's up to the therapist to make this distinction and to educate the client.
3: Queer affirmative therapy is a therapeutic practice that takes a positive view of LGBTQ persons and their identities as well as their relationships. It also addresses the impact of homophobia, transphobia, and heteronormativity on LGBTQ clients. According to therapist Shreza De Siobhan, it is a practice that takes into account the needs of marginalized people and takes an intersectional approach. The term affirmative is used because such practice affirms the experience of people. Drag queen Camilla Comslut also talks about being subjected to this perception that queer people are not quote-unquote normal and needs to be corrected.
1: I mean, the most famous one is like, what, that I'm not normal lah. Whatever that means. <laughs> what is normal anyway? Is anyone like, normal, normal? I don't know. <laughs> you know, or like, you know, if you're a boy, okay, like for me it's like, oh, you're a boy, you know, you know boys don't wear heels, okay, for example. But like... If you do your research Like men actually wore heels first Like in the 10th century Before even women did You know And and men heels actually like Symbolizes um, high social uh, stature And military power And fashionable taste You know Uh, (laughs) I mean like Even if you To me Even if you don't like it Doesn't mean like I can't wear it lah right People (laughs) People need to stop Telling other people How they should dress And you know who they can or cannot love.
5: The first thing they said to me was, we're bringing you back to Taiwan. (laughs) In their minds, my sexual orientation was America's fault. The West had corrupted me with divergent ideas, and if only my parents had never left Taiwan, this would not have happened to their only daughter. In truth, I wondered if they were right. Of course, there are gay people in Asia, just as there are gay people in every part of the world. But is the idea of living an out-life, in the I'm gay, this is my spouse, and we're proud of our lives together kind of way, just a Western idea? If I had grown up in Taiwan, or any place outside of the West, would I have found models of happy, thriving LGBT people? You just heard a
3: snippet from Jenny Chang and Lisa Dazzle's TED Talk on "This is what LGBTQ life is like around the world." More from them later. But here is Kimchi discussing how people assume that LGBTQ individuals demand so much, despite gay rights being just human rights.
9: I will instead uh, say that the biggest misconception about people, about queer people in Malaysia, is that. Oh uh, we demand acceptance. We demand uh, we demand to be treated uh we demand to be treated exclusively with uh, a, with an exclusive amount of respect and we demand uh, a, an exclusive place in society. And it's not that uh we just kinda want to do our own thing without getting harassed and without getting oppressed and discriminated against in Malaysia, uh, because that is, unfortunately, as good as it gets. Poor people aren't these pride flag touting monsters that just <laughs> <laughs> plague the streets 24-7, screaming and demanding that the government opens up and lifts the censorship ban and, and stuff like that. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being that way. I, I know I definitely have, it in, uh, have moments where I would like to protest and be loud about you know the unfairness and the injustice of the discrimination that happens in my very own country but for the most Mm. part i kind of just want to do my own thing i kind of i just want i just want acceptance Mm. and respect basic respect Mm. not uh not praise not to be put on a pedestal just because of my sexuality because we're all a thing that I suppose homophobic people like to do is other a person because of their sexuality. They think that they 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 view them as other, they they view them as other than normal, other than the regular. And I'd say that that's that does more harm than you think it does. If you were to simply see queer people the way you see people who, in your opinion, are not queer, it'd just be a lot easier to live life because we're really just like
3: everyone else. According to Joseph Gestro, the world is as large as the range of one's interest. A narrow-minded man has a narrow outlook. The walls of his world shut out the broader horizon of affairs. Prejudice can maintain walls that no invention can remove. That is why it is not an LGBTQ person's Duty or obligation to constantly educate people on this. And sometimes it's okay to not have that fight. Sometimes it's up to people to educate themselves. Here is Raj explaining why.
2: It's okay for someone to think that it is a choice, for someone to believe that it is a face. That is okay. Um, Everybody plays a part in how the world is, you know. Everything is created in some sort of weird balance, from what I've seen, you know. So, yeah, it it simply isn't, but I I think as long as others are not being harmed, you know, in the process, I don't need to convince someone that it's, it's not a choice or it's a phase or, you know, whatever, you know, like, Like, I just need my, maybe maybe just my family. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, you know, Um, at the end of the day, even with them, if they're too hard headed, like I can't push up against that, you know, sometimes it comes a point in time you need to make a decision. Like what's more important in the relationship, you know, convincing someone to believe in my belief systems or, you know, having peace, you know what I mean? And letting that happen on its own. Like, you know, I think that there comes a point in time where fighting a certain battle can only then... Have the opposite effect. I need to allow people to have that opinion. I need to allow people to think that it's a phase, even if it's not. It's not my job to convince someone of something that they're not experiencing because I can't. You know, um, I can only be honest about how I feel and who I am, you know.
3: More on allyship in segment three of this episode. But to wrap up the first segment on misconceptions, here is Mimo closing things off by explaining why these misconceptions, these stereotypes, these generalizations continue to subsist. And later, some concluding remarks from the TED Talk I mentioned earlier.
7: I think heterosexual people think that we are too flamboyant, that we like to show off, which, which is also like not really true. Because there's a lot of uh, queer people who are trying to keep uh, a low-key low, low key profile, you know, like myself. And we often hear things like, why can't you just keep it to yourself? Why do you have to show off like that? Or why do you dress this way? Or color your hair this hair color, you know? If you didn't do this, uh, this bullying, for example, wouldn't happen to you. These are like messages that many queer people hear on regular basis, And... Uh, it's it's sad because it's a it's victim blame, blaming, you know. Um, it's position queer people as a problem that need to be fixed, rather than focusing on the environment of homophobia and transphobia, mm. you know, that creates a climate where it is okay to discriminate against uh, or, and target uh, those who are perceived to be different. Also. <laughs> Uh, There's another misconception that uh, like I thought I find them funny uh, because, you know, like in a same sex relationship, they assume one partner usually plays the masculine role and the other one plays the feminine role. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, this is also uh, most of the time is untrue because most same sex couples work to develop relationships based on, you know, the principle of equality and mutuality you know, where they are loved and appreciated for who they are. And I think, like, roles are usually based on who likes to do a certain thing and who has the talent for doing certain things. Like, for example, I think I'm better than my partner in uh, DIY things, you know, like changing changing a bulb, for example, you know, or, or fixing something broken around the house, whether she's better uh, than me in the kitchen, you know, she, she's a
3: better cook. But that doesn't mean that I don't go and help, right? Oh, I, I feel like that's a really important misconception that you brought up. Could it be yeah. that people feel the need to heterosexualize? Everything. Uh, yeah, like, all right, so even if it's same sex, one of them must be more uh, masculine for for it to work. Yeah, I mean,
7: Yeah, I mean... The human species is one species of, of uh, millions that exist on the, bla- on the planet. And, and we've seen with other animals, like, for example, the seahorse, the male takes the role of carrying uh, the babies. You know, they get mm. pregnant. So uh, that's when I, this is what you said about, you know, uh, the, it's a social contract, the roles of a woman or a man.
5: By the time we finish our not so straight journey around the world... We had traveled 50,000 miles and logged 120 hours of video footage. We traveled to 15 countries and interviewed 50 supergays. Turns out, it wasn't hard to find them at all. Yes, there are still tragedies that happen in the bumpy road to equality. And let's not forget that 75 countries still criminalize homosexuality today. But there are also stories of hope and courage in every corner of the world. What we ultimately took away from our journey is equality is not a Western invention. One of the key factors in this equality movement is momentum. Momentum is more and more people embrace their full selves and use whatever opportunities they have to change their part of the world. And momentum as more and more countries find models of equality in one another.
0: My beauty is so tremendous that they try to confine it, build health and science, fashion and finance as gates around it, but my beauty, you can still peek through and see it. My beauty is so tremendous there are no words for it, or rather the words, they're too ugly for my beauty. My beauty is so tremendous that they had me believe for so long it was not there." So when I finally found it here, and all the places I was taught to hate here, and my body not theirs, I finally figured it out. My beauty, my beauty is so tremendous that the men, the men will have to kill me for it, but my beauty, my beauty will still be there when I am gone.
3: That was Alok Vimenon, an American writer, performance artist, and media personality performing at the Business of Fashion 2019 on Genderless Future. In segment two of this episode, we want to highlight the hopes of our wonderful guests for the future, what they think would best help the cause, as well as their messages to local LGBTQ individuals listening. 2021 marks the fourth anniversary of 18-year-old Tina Vins' tragic and brutal death at the hands of bullies due to Tina Vines' perceived gender identity. Discrimination, homophobia, and oppression exist as early as our schooling days. Here is G and Mitch from Seed Foundation speaking about the importance of education, especially in schools, to counteract these negative sentiments. I truly believe education
10: on issues surrounding the LGBTQIA plus community is the way to create awareness and empathy in larger society. It's not enough to teach kindness, it has to come with context. We need to teach kindness in the face of oppression. That means being transparent about homophobia and sexism in our society. It means acknowledging the research and lived experiences of queer people that being queer has always been a natural part of our world. Imagine growing up with that message. Imagine all the queer students who don't have to hate themselves and contemplate suicide or choose safety over authenticity. Imagine kids not bullying their peers for being different. Tina Naveen's not the first student to be a victim of narrow-mindedness, and unfortunately he won't be the last if we don't do something ASAP. If queer rights is a stretch, out would push for feminism to be taught in mainstream education, the notion that anyone can like anything and not be judged for it. That includes clothes, toys, activities, career paths not being gendered. Boys can play with Barbie dolls and like makeup and ballet. And girls can play with cars and like football and be engineers. I think once people open their hearts and minds to a more free world for boys and girls, it would be easier for them to deconstruct the very notion of the binary. Or at the very least, know that they don't have to understand something to respect it. So what if boys like boys and girls like girls? Love is love is love is love. It's about discrimination. It's about equality amongst
11: all of us, we are all Malaysian, right? There should not be a black, yellow, or brown. It's about as as one, as Malaysian, you know, and and not defining, like putting a specific race in a box or a specific gender, you know, I think we should learn not to discriminate. I think our education system needs a big revamp and in that education system starting from young it's all about accepting people as is it's about it's all about equality it's all about unity it's all about one i do have hope for future malaysia i really do have hope because i see that the younger malaysians are more accepting of difference and they are willing to learn, they are willing to continue reading, they are willing to delve into the other. Yeah, so I do believe that there is future and even right now if what we are doing right now is merely just to create a platform for a discourse, so be it. You know, at least we have started that platform for us to talk about unsettling situations or uncomfortable scenarios. Why not?
10: Paltry people project putrid
3: opinions propelled from puny pinpoint brains in their pin-sized prickly pineapple pulpits. If they stopped and stayed silent, stood still and listened, Stuff some significant people said would seep in and seem simply superb when seen with acceptance and socially sensitive skills. That was Mindy, our community member, reciting a poem by Martin Trabag. We hope that what you have heard here will encourage you to talk about these issues in a respectful and constructive way. Mimo believes that the way forward to counter-discrimination would be two conversations in order to deconstruct prejudice.
7: I think most LGBT people, they are always on survival mode. They are Mm -hmm. struggling with a lot of emotional, psychological and uh, other, you know, um, things in their lives. I mean, the only way to combat combat the the division uh, between the LGBT community and the society in general Mm -hmm. is by having conversations. We need to have those conversations. You know, we need to come together and have an open dialogue. And I could see a lot of... uh, I understanding a lot of people being open-minded more about it, you know, the allies are getting more and more, but still at the same time the the LGBTQ community in Malaysia is operating under the radar, you know, mm. it's underground because the fear is is very, very real, you know.
3: Mm. yeah, it's like every time having to make a decision between visibility and publicity. Exactly. Versus backlash and um, possible persecution, you know? Yeah,
7: yeah. So we, like this month, this is the first time that Malaysia is going to have an official bride celebration, uh, which is going to happen online this Saturday. This is the first time. And we did a, a lot of work on it. I mean, the community did a lot of work on it. But still, it's this shame that we can't, you know, We can't say to the world, you know, come and celebrate with us and we are proud of who we are. You know, I've been here nine years. You know, I spend a lot of time in Malaysia. Malaysia has been my second home. The people that I met here um, are incredible. And I think it's going to break my heart to leave this country one day because, you know, I'm a refugee. So there is a chance for resettlement and I'm hoping for that. I don't know what to say. It's all political, you know. If the government didn't change uh, their perspective uh, towards uh, refugees, not just uh, just LGBTQ people, like towards refugees and other minorities, uh, it's so hard to stay here. It's very hard.
3: Here is Raj's advice on how to deal with oppression and discrimination and still live your true self. After Raj, you'll hear from Mitch and Camilla on their messages to young LGBTQ persons.
2: I can't give you the power to be who you are, but if you can take something from how I've lived my life, like it hasn't been easy, there has been suffering, I have to put one foot in front of the other to be myself, but the truth is, do you want to live a life where you are suppressed and constantly in fear and afraid of people knowing who you are? And... Like the reality is that those emotions, those feelings take up so much space, so much more space than feeling freedom does. And your ability to live a wholesome life and be who you are is seriously compromised by that. That is the first thing that we need to take into consideration is that one day, the people around us that are judging us, we will never see again, or they will move on. Um, There are seven billion people on this planet if you're not having a gun in your mouth or a knife to your throat for being who you are, I think it's important to start exploring it. I'll, I'll, let me give you an example. I have a friend, okay, here. He's, he lives across the road. He's an Indonesian boy from a Muslim family. And he grew up in, like, a village. And he went to Islamic school. And he's married to a white male living in Australia, and he hasn't told his family. He's married, he's been married for a while, five years. Um, That's what he's doing to live his life. But he also doesn't go home and visit his parents. Um, Like, not that he can now because of COVID, but like, I mean, you know, it's been five years. Um, He he goes back as, as, as rarely as possible and always talks about how hard it is for him to break his parents' hearts. And so there's that to consider as well, and I completely understand that. Um, There are some things that my parents don't need to know. There are some things that, you know... um, It's, you know, we are... A lot of us... And and I'm just saying that because I don't really have an answer. Do you know what I mean? I'm saying that I can understand that everybody is in a different situation. And everyone you know like the pain that I watch my friend go through is it's awful because he needs his family you, who doesn't you know who doesn't need their family and the love and the connection but he doesn't want to go back there and then they pressure him to get married every time he's there to a woman and they ask him these questions because he's already in his early 30s like he's way, way overdue nearly expired you know for those like you know for that that particular society it's like You know, it's time. (laughs) And so I don't know. Like, it's really hard, um, that stuff. And I don't really have the perfect solution. But I know that he's happy with his husband. I know that he's here living in Australia. And that if he was completely living there and not married and didn't leave the country. And it wasn't easy for him to do that and learn to live in a different society and learn a new language and do all that sort of stuff or whatever. And, you know, he has friends like myself. Who is very outspoken about, hey, you know, you just got to do what you got to do for you. You know, like I'm not this person who's always like, oh, I understand it's awful. I'm like, maybe you should think about how you can open the door and how much of the fear is yours and unrealistic and how much of the fear is real. You know, I just wanted to tell that story because like life isn't perfect. Life is not black and white. But I think it's important for us to do as much as we can to live our true selves, even if that is limited, because... Like, I don't know, as humans, we want it all or we want nothing at all. Sometimes, you know, there's this thing, this all or nothing mentality. But the reality is there's sometimes, you know, circumstance, you know, requires a certain amount of, you know, imbalanced balance.
11: I think for all my trans siblings who was very young and there's so, and there's a long way to go, I'm going to tell them to Hey Hang in there Because Things will get better Just Be you Be true Because the T Is not just about Trans It's not just defining Trans But it's also defining The truth in us The T is also for truth So So Be
0: who you are. Be real. This is going to be
1: okay. In time, we will all get stronger. And what we can do with that power is that speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. I think if you as a person, you have that security within, power within, and if you can share that power and support, you know, for those who maybe don't feel so powerful at that point in their life, that would make a big difference. I just want these kids who are, are watching whether I know you or not, whether you come to this party or not or you just know me, you know, like I want you to know that you can really do it, you know. It's it's honestly not easy. Like for me for me personally I had to go through like a phase of truly accepting myself and that was like the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. Really to to acknowledge all my flaws my insecurities i had to if i if i really wanted to live my truest self i had to do all of those things and that's something very very difficult for me to do but i did it you know and i want people when they watch me especially these young kids you know when they see me i want them to know that they can do it too when you come to my show and when you come to my parties i want you to feel like i'm amazing too you know I can do this too. That's what I want, you know? And, and and honestly, when I started doing drag, I never imagined how much actually I can inspire other kids, you know, who, who who came to the party. And when I saw that effect, I knew like, oh, this is more than just me being on stage. Honestly, it became so much more than that. It's not, it's not about that anymore, you know? Now it's really, for me, it's like if I can give back that sense of liberation to these kids who feel so alone you know and don't feel misunderstood you know if I can just one night just make you feel liberated on my show like that would that would mean the world to me already and I really hope that whoever's listening like I love you guys you know life is tough but we got each other we got each other and there's a lot of love There is a lot of love. Don't forget that.
3: You're going to hear more from Mitch on the Trans Solidarity Fund in our third segment on allyship. Meanwhile, do check out Roger's feature on ABC News regarding a particular karaoke competition in Darwin, which means a lot to the local queer community. Please also check out Camilla's Slot's self-written single, Sunshine, on Spotify. It is absolutely fabulous. Both things are available here in our show notes. But to end segment two on our guest's hope for the future and messages to the queer community, here is Ken from Pluho and G providing useful queer affirming suggestions as well as resources.
8: So the Bluebird project is a starting point. If you want to contact us, you can write this in into us at bluebird.pluho.org. We also have uh, our contact form, which is how we usually uh, encourage people to get in touch with us the first time because that has a list of questions that lets us know the information we need to better serve you. Uh, there's also a few articles on Queer Lapis that talks about mental health and therapy would be worth looking at. If you're looking for online resources that are not specific to Malaysian context, there's actually a lot of great information provided by health organizations and uh, governments. Uh, Especially the ones that I like are the ones by the Australian government, so they have a bunch of resources, easy reading worksheets and exercises that you can read that's categorised by issues that you face. And we can also leave links to that, I'm sure. So that's a great uh, starting point if you're not in an emergency, not in crisis mode. This is a good place to start with.
10: In terms of queer-affirming resources, for me it started from queer shows, manga, movies, and books. There is BL, short for Boy's Love, and GL, short for Girl's Love, shows with queer representation. My favourite Thai ones are Love by Chance or Until We Meet Again by Studio Wabisabi and the recent Pinoy hits like Game Boys by The Idea First Company and Hello Stranger by Black Sheep, all available on YouTube. Good queer representation was life-changing for me, as it showed me a version of reality where people could be themselves and define love and support. Of course, there is also bad representation that fetishizes and stereotypes queer people, so you also have to be critical when seeing through the content you consume. For me, a good sign is always when queer people are the ones involved in heading these productions. The writers, directors, acting staff and the shows, but of course, it's always good to remember that no one queer person speaks for all queer people. Meaning queer people can also agree and disagree and have different opinions on a range of queer issues and that's perfectly valid. Nowadays, there are also tons of queer activists and content creators on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram, all from all walks of life. And they all do different things like comedy, vlogs, and educational content. So there's this accessibility, this visibility. There's this window to our different lived experiences. And that's awesome. Some of my favorites are Alok Mainan and Jeffrey Marsh on Instagram. <laughs>
12: I completely support the ethos of genuine transgenderism, right? I support it if people genuinely feel. But you don't, Piers, because you bring gender-neutral people and non-binary kids. people onto your show constantly and berate them. Well, no, I, I bring them on when they. I bring them on and I challenge them very consistently. I, I challenge them about gender fluidity. That's where I have an That's issue. That's still under the trans bracket. Well, maybe, but I think no, gen, not maybe. Absolutely, gender fluidity to me is. I think it's a farce, personally. Right? I think you. That's your own bigoted opinion. I don't think it's bigoted. It is absolutely. I don't bigoted. think it's bigoted. But you know, people who decide one day they're male, and the next day they're female. Well, next day back to mail, I think it's ridiculous. That's because you're a cis straight man.
3: That was a snippet from the Good Morning Britain show in November 2018, which spoke on a secondary institution in Brighton where 40 students don't identify with the gender assigned at birth and a further 36 pupils are gender fluid. That was Munro Bergdoff, a transgender model and activist, calling the host of the show, Piers Morgan, a bigoted person after he labeled gender-fluid children as a fad or a farce. In this final segment, we are going to speak about allyship. According to Nicole Asong, the Director of Diversity Programs at Mayo Clinic, an act of allyship is when a person of privilege works in solidarity and partnership with a marginalized group of people to help take down the systems that challenge that group's basic rights equal access and ability to thrive in our society. Here is Mimo speaking on why change is needed now and why compassion is important and why we need to continuously work to stop hate.
7: I don't want to sound negative here, but I think Malaysia has a very very long way to go Mm. uh, to to achieve not just LGBTQ uh, rights, but also human rights in general, Mm -hmm. you know. And the LGBTQ community is is actually under attack under violent attack and online abuse and discriminatory laws. Uh, we We heard about the case of the men were arrested by the Islamic uh, uh, authorities, you know for for attempting attempting uh, to have sex. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, they were they were found guilty and they were sentenced between six and seven months in jail, six strokes um, of the cane, and I think a fine of nearly five thousand ringgit. This, this happened uh, last year, and we also heard about the two girls in Tringano, yeah, Tringano, yeah, who were caned in 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 public. Um, but I think the necessary steps are are already been are being taken. Um, to achieve LGBTQ rights, um, and we can see this in in many initiatives, just like your pla- your platform. There's many platforms out there trying to shed the light about what is it to be an LGBTQ, and you know, b- bring the conversation to the table. I have to say this: at the end of the day, we are human beings, right? And but if if, if we couldn't perceive the other person as a person and a human being, our rights can easily be taken away or ignored. And we have to move away from the, the, that, the narrative of us versus them, you know? And it is not just, I'm not talking just about LGBTQ people. I, we need to have more compassion towards the human beings in general, to all people in general. We allow the beautiful things that um, makes us who we are, we allow those to, to divide us. We allow our re- leaderships and governments to divide us. We've seen so many times how the Malaysian government is trying to portray the LGBTQ uh, community and other minorities in uh, in a very bad way, and that cre- create climates for, for hate. There's a lot of Malaysians acted um on this hate w- without even slight knowledge uh, about the topic just because their rulers and their government said so
3: Audrey Lord once said it is not our differences that divide us it is our inability to recognize accept and celebrate those differences here is justice and ken of Pluho speaking about allyship later you'll also hear from lee of tabongplangi providing easy actionable steps to be an ally
12: I, I I think it's really important for us to talk about allyship. And for me personally, I think allyship is a lifelong learning process. Because although I myself uh, is part of the LGBT community, I myself need to learn how to be an ally to different community, like trans community, like non-binary community, the intersex community, and you know, we believe in whole believe that activism is intersectional. So I have to myself learn how to be a better ally with the migrant community, with the workers community, labor community, the women's community, of course. So uh, I think for me the biggest thing is to to listen and care. It's it's really simple, but everything starts from there. Like the fact that I decided you bring up uh, state sponsor, conversion therapy just now. I I feel safe. Like I I know that we have a safe space here. We we're we all allies and. We all, you, you know, care about certain things. So that makes me feel safe. And, you know, just to be sensitive and respect. Like, if people tell you their pronouns is a certain pronoun, don't don't ask questions, just just respect. And, like, you know, I'm sure if you ask questions, uh, folks are going to be happy to answer you. But you just going to, you know, just care. And, <laughs> yeah, I think that that will be the the amazing starting point that everyone can do. And the fact is um the LGBT community has seen amazing allyship coming from um, the hetero community, coming from especially the women's community. For, for sure, Like um, I remember when I was first starting my, first, uh, my, my current job, my boss asked me about my pronouns, so immediately I feel safe. <laughs> it's, it's simple things like that.
8: So I agree 100% with everything that Justice shared. I think it's the intent and the heart with which you approach this that really matters. And we can sense that, we're human. And I think in terms of how can, maybe practically speaking, how can we be a stronger ally uh, to the LGBTQ community, I would say the main thing that uh, it all starts with is awareness and visibility. And we know, actually, the areas that LGBTQ people in Malaysia are, are discriminated against in. So... If we think about uh, what the different areas uh, that we navigate in our, in our life, in our daily life, we have work, the workplace, we have social spaces, uh, such as in schools, online, public spaces, um, we have religious spaces, um, and in all of these spaces, there is a strong sense of heteronormativity. So even as an ally, even if you are not um, LGBTQ yourself, there is a lot of value And it means a lot to the community when you practice uh, inclusive and welcoming behavior. In addition to that, um, I think it's also really important in the workplace for there to be, um, in addition to, of course, uh, sexual harassment policies, grievance policies are really important, but I really believe there needs to be a diversity and inclusion policy that specifically talks about how does the company protect their staff who are LGBTQ identifying? So how does a company hire and make sure that it is equal opportunity when they're hiring? Make sure that, uh, provide guarantee and assurance that they have a zero tolerance policy if there's any kind of homophobic or transphobic behavior in the in the office. And also that this will not influence any decision-making uh, within the company. I think we, it's easy to say that this is a non-issue. But what really matters is if this can be put down on paper and it, as Justice said, we are a minority. We're not going ever to have the majority voice if we're just being uh, insular and talking among ourselves. We do need allies and allies are part of the LGBTQ plus community. The A stands for asexuals and it stands for allies. And so there is a space and we do uh, appreciate any kind of solidarity that is shown. So if you want to be an ally, talk more about the issues that matter to the community, talk more about the discrimination that's affecting the LGBTQ community, and champion um, even basic stuff like equality in the workplace.
6: I think that's a lot of ways to show genuine allyship to queer Malaysians in Malaysia. So at the personal level, I think it involves um, speaking up about queer issues, um, being openly supportive of queer Malaysians, um, calling out friends and family if they have certain misconceptions, uh, sharing your pronouns, respecting other people's pronouns, and then just listening to queer people and engaging with those around you. I think that can be extremely powerful in... um, being an, like just changing those around you. Um, beyond that, I think at the community level, we should be thinking about how we can donate financially or through tangible goods to existing queer initiatives within Malaysia. Um, keep an eye out for them, um, support them. Um, you can also think about uh, what sort of skills you have. Um, can you volunteer your time? Um, whether you're a web designer, someone in healthcare, whether um, you know your way around the law, blah blah blah, just just assess yourself and like see what you can do um, tangibly to help queer Malaysians in some way or form. If you're in a position of power, for example, you're a business owner, um, make it a point to hire a number of queer people in your business. Um, set in protocols to Uh, make it safe for us so that we don't face harassment. Stuff like that, I think, has a monumental effect in making Malaysia a more livable place for queer Malaysians. Safe spaces for queer people need to be created. So I think your allyship in these areas would be extremely helpful. Um, Beyond that, I think There's also just reading up more about liberation, how issues are intersectional. And yeah, I think just learning more, being more open to reading and getting to know others within the community.
4: I was born the younger sister of a gay man, my older brother, Mike, and the daughter of parents who are both empathetic to and loving of the LGBT community. In my household, being gay was, and is, no big deal. When my brother came out, we hugged him, said we loved him, and that was that. When he brought his first boyfriend, now husband, home for a couple of weeks one Christmas, my father's only comment to my mother was, please, try not to mix up our underwear. (laughs) I don't consider myself just an ally to the LGBT community. I consider myself your family. And so, I'm doing what we should all do with our families. I'm loving you. I support you. I completely accept you as you are, as I hope you do me. There are people who have said that I'm being brave for being openly supportive of gay marriage, gay adoption, basically, of gay rights, but with all due respect, I humbly dissent. I'm not being brave, I'm being a decent human being. And I don't think I should receive an award for that, or for merely stating what I believe to be true, that love is a human experience, not a political statement.
3: That was a snippet from Anne Hathaway's speech when she received an award at the Human Rights Campaign Dinner in 2008. Exploring the sentiments shared by Justice, Ken and Lee, there are many great career initiatives out there that need your help here are two places where you can start. Mitch of Seed Foundation will be explaining about the Trans Solidarity Fund, which is now more important than ever during this difficult time. Later, you'll hear from Lee on Tabong Plangi's Binder initiative. Just in case you missed part one of this special, be sure to also purchase Tabong Plangi's Story for a Cause too, an effort that spotlighted local queer stories and one that helped fund Pluho's Bluebird project.
11: This is Trans Solidarity Fund 2.0. We started in 2020 when the first pandemic started, um, and at that point in time, we realised that a lot of our community in many places were not able to access the essential provision that was promised by the government. There may be many reasons. One, maybe it's our community themselves who are afraid to register, to go to the Welfare Department and register their names to get that essential provision because it all boils down to trust. What happens to them when this is all done? Will their IC be used by the government to arrest them? You know, so it all boils down to trust, (laughs) trusting your government. So, many were not able to to receive the provision. So, at SEED, we thought, okay, you know what? If this is going to be a challenge, especially for our community, we're not going to let that happen to them. So, we created this TS Trans Solidarity Fund in March 2020. We were able to distribute close to 3,500 plus essential provision to transgender persons and some families who are not able to access uh, the help needed. So this year, when the lockdown started again, we thought, you know what, let's do this again.
6: So our chest Binder initiative is actually very simple in concept. All we do is we call out for funds online. Um, Generous individuals donate what they can. Um, people who need chest binders fill in a form with their details for what size they need, where to deliver to, whether they need a volunteer runner to head to them and pass it to them in person, for s- safety reasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think um, it's honestly only successful because average people are very kind, and we can actually do a lot of good if we all work together. Um, it's important to make gender affirmative apparel more accessible because people need to understand that these um, these gender affirming clothes can sometimes be life saving or liberating to queer people. Making it accessible also allows for people to experiment more and explore their gender more safely. Um, very often queer folks without access to all these will still resort to desperate measures such as using tape to bind, which can be extremely dangerous to physical health.
3: Relevant donation links to these NGOs' great efforts are found in our show notes. But if you don't have the financial means to help, here is Kim Chi providing us with some everyday easy steps that can make a world of a difference to someone who needs support.
9: How do you show allyship in general? In case you are not queer or you are not comfortable with identifying as queer yet, the easiest way to be an ally is to stand up for queer people around you when you're being discriminated against or uh, or just reach out and show support to people who you think might be in need of help. Um, And if you don't have the capability to do that or you don't have the capacity or you're not in a space where you're capable of doing so you can just be a listener you can learn about these things absorb information understand what it's like to be queer do your best to understand the queer experience the queer struggle and empathize have good faith and kindness uh when it comes to any doubts that
3: you might have
9: and stand up for marginalized people around you
3: We've come to the end of this episode and to the end of our Pride podcast special. I just want to thank everyone who has contributed to these episodes. Thank you to Ken and Justice of Pluho, Mitch from Seed Foundation, Lee of Tabung Plangi, Camilla Kumslut, Mimo, Ji, Kim Chi, Raj, and two brave people who sent anonymous stories to us. Thank you as well to our community members who helped lend their voice to the episode. Thank you, Abigail, Samantha, Priya, Jasprit, Mindy, and Alana. You guys are awesome. And lastly, thank you to our listeners who took the time to understand and empathize with the lived experiences of the people featured in this episode. We hope you learned and cried and laughed like we did when we conducted these interviews with these amazing human beings. To officially end our Pride podcast special, I want to recite an extract of Maya Angelou's poem entitled, Cage Bird. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill Of things unknown but longed for still And his tune is heard on the distant hill For the cage bird sings of freedom.